Welcome to the Winning with Shopify podcast. This is the podcast that will teach you to take your Shopify store and turn it into a business growing sales machine. It has the latest marketing, email, sales, SEO, and social media advice, and also has strategies and tips from the experts without fluff. Your host is Nick Truman. He's a Shopify expert and an education partner with the Shopify approved course, 1000 Sales and Beyond. He's the CEO of JustAskParker.com, a global specialist marketing agency for Shopify owners. Nick has over 13 years experience in digital marketing from PPC and SEO through to digital transformation of businesses. He's helped hundreds of brands from startup Shopify stores through to international enterprises that operate in hundreds of countries. Nick will be sharing his knowledge and interview the experts to help you in your journey to success. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. Now, here's your host, Nick Truman. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Winning with Shopify podcast. For anybody who hasn't tuned in before, my name's Nick. I host the podcast here. I'm CEO at a business called Just Ask Parker. um, And I also run a digital consultancy based in London called Spec Digital. If you haven't come on the show before or listened or tuned in, feel free to go and check out all of our previous episodes. A lot of the content that we create is evergreen. So there's a huge amount of archived content about how to help you run your Shopify business as well as possible. Anyone who tuned in last week will already know that we are kicking off my first series on social since I've been hosting. I took over from Caroline back in June, and Caroline used to talk about social a heck of a lot. And it's something that, apologies, I have neglected a bit. So we're doing a series on social at the moment. And today I've got my first guest to be talking about social media. His name's Ben, and we're going to dig into a bit of his knowledge, his background, and some of the learnings he's had in trying to do social media organically over the years to boost e-com and revenue. So without further ado, Ben, Welcome to the show. Thanks, Nick. Good to be here. Thanks for having me on. Great. Well, it's really good to have you here. And just before we dive in, we always ask every guest, give us a quick overview to yourself, Ben. So where you've come from and what brought you onto the show today? Sure. Yeah. So my name's Ben Leonard. I'm best known in e-commerce circles for being the guy that built and scaled and then sold a fitness brand called Beast Gear. And my background is not e-commerce. I'm actually an ecologist by qualification. I'm a fully qualified whale and dolphin geek. And I stumbled into e-commerce when I got really ill and had to take an extended break from my fitness hobbies. And so I used that time to develop a brand of fitness equipment. Turns out I was pretty good at it and I scaled it. And three and a half years later, I sold it. Now, I guess I'm doing three things and I have three hats, really. One is I'm still building brands, partly because I love it and everything I've learned, I'm now putting together with a view to selling businesses straight off the bat, whereas the first time around it started as a hobby before I realized I could scale and then sell it. And the other two hats I have is one, I I consult with e-commerce business owners to give them the benefit of my experience, help them get control of their their e-commerce business and scale it up. And the other is I I help people get the same benefit I got out of e-commerce by by selling their business. So that's that's an e-commerce brokerage called Ecom Brokers. I ended up here talking about social media with you really because social was a really important aspect of how I scaled the first brand, Beast Gear. And I think that it's an important topic, which, you know, you mentioned it yourself, it's often neglected. And it's important that e-commerce business owners have a handle on their their social. Awesome. Awesome. And obviously, it sounds like you've had a really interesting career so far. Or sort of, I say career, I hate the word career, actually. I don't know why I just used it. But you've had an interesting journey so far. And it's amazing how similar to yourself so many guests we've had on have actually not come from a traditional harvard business school and you know kind of jumped into i want to run a massive corporate company it's actually sort of you know i've got time let's create something or i've got a bit of a passion in an area let's sell some products in that try and change the world or or that sort of thing so really interesting actually just to hear about how you got into running an e-commerce business in the first place but moving then into social so let's talk about some of the elements of social and what, what what's entailed and i think Obviously, a lot of our listeners will know what social is, but what are some of the key parts of social? You know, what's it all about? How, how does it work? What are you trying to achieve as an e-commerce business by using social platforms? Well, my answer is obviously in the context of e-commerce, right? It, it's not so much in the context of sharing videos of your cat with your Auntie Jane on Facebook. Sure. Not that that's not important because obviously the internet was invented for videos of cats. <laughs> but from, from the e-commerce perspective, Social is basically a massive opportunity to have a relationship with customers and potential customers, I think. And it gives you the opportunity to build that relationship on the basis of using social media to show up and be useful to your customers and potential customers. Because people remember brands that are useful 
to them, right? We're all wired, you know, human beings' brains are wired to be attracted to and remember things that help us to get ahead and survive. And uh, it doesn't really matter what, that's not quite true. It's important what your logo is, what your brand name is, what your slogan is, etc. But what's more important is being useful. And when we use social media as a vehicle to share helpful, engaging, useful, free, compelling content with our audience of customers and potential customers, then our brand stays top of mind and we're more likely to end up getting that sale. Sure. And I, I love the fact you use the word useful. We, we often ask a lot of our clients, you know, what is the point of you? And we obviously ask it in a nice friendly tone. Uh, but, you know, what, what problem are you trying to solve? What are you trying to achieve here? And unfortunately, a lot of them, you know, same sort of thing, like, oh, we just want to offer good products or we want to, you know, make money, etc. Whereas the ones that do really, really do well are the ones that do have a focus on, do you know what? All of our competitors have really, really bad customer service. So we've got live chat on our website. We've got a, you know, guaranteed one working hour response to any notifications, emails, support tickets, whatever it might be. And so I think it's interesting hearing about some of the USPs, but I've never actually used the word useful when talking about how a brand should be. And I quite like that. I think it's a really good way of, of explaining it. And obviously social is social is one of the big places to, you know, the, in my mind, certainly organic social. And we, we're, we're touching on paid in a few episodes time for anybody listening in going like, organic, what's that? Organic is just on your Facebook page, on your Instagram page, sharing images, talking to customers, etc. But I think it's exactly that, isn't it, Ben? It's, it's having a conversation. It opens the door to you can post something, a customer comments, or you can ask a question, or they can, you know, go on Twitter and have a nice little moan, but you can respond. You can respond to that moan and deal with it or get them in touch with customer service, etc. Absolutely. And it's one of the advantages that smaller e-commerce businesses have is the ability to be more nimble in this respect. So of course, you know, larger organizations can respond directly to messages. Of course they can. But it's the smaller more agile, I like to think, I like to call it micro agility, right? It's that aspect of, of, that we have as, because uh, many of, of the listeners will probably be small teams, one, two people teams, or, or, or maybe slightly larger operation on Shopify, but nonetheless, not gigantic. And it's that nimbleness that allows us to have that organic, real, authentic, down to earth relationship with our customers on social media, often one to one in, in direct messages. And when you extrapolate that over time and, and build that up, you build a lot of goodwill and reciprocity towards your brand, which ultimately ends up in more sales. Absolutely. And I think, I mean, an example I've given on the uh, podcast a few times is my local brewery. They obviously make and ship beer all, you know, and export beer all over the world, but you can turn up at the local brewery and you can get you know, fresh beer, draft beer during lockdown. And they literally put it in the boot of your car as you go through their little drive-through. And then you get home and you've got fresh draft beer to enjoy out in the garden, etc. But they're so good on social media. And they're always posting pictures of them brewing beer. And they have, I think it's Fridays, they have your bring your dog to work day. So you talked about cats earlier, exactly the same thing with dogs. And it's, they have a personality, but it's not completely unassociated to what they do. It's all about the brewery because they've realized a lot of their social media audience are either local or just diehard fans and advocates of the beer itself. So they've built this whole kind of, you know, it's not a massive following, but honestly, it works. Every time they post on there, I sort of think to myself, do you know what? It's Thursday afternoon right now. I should probably go and nip there on Friday on the way home from work and pick up some beer to have at the weekend. You know, and it works. And I, I then go and spend 20, 30 pounds on beer for, for the weekend and drop some around at friends' houses. And, Completely. You know, it's a, it's a good way to do it. And this way they will build up, you know, almost evangelical fans of their brand. And if you want to take it to another level, you can look out for staying in, in the beer industry. You can look at Brewdog, yep. who through their guerrilla marketing, which is, you know, genius, some of the stuff that they've done. But through this building up a, a, a cult-like following of fans, you could have somebody walking down the street in, you know, I don't know, a city in Uruguay, right, wearing a BrewDog t-shirt. And somebody's walking down the street, the other side of the road, going the other way with a BrewDog hat on. And the two people catch each other's eye and nod and keep walking, just in the knowledge that's my person, that's they're in my tribe, right? They're one of the BrewDog people. Yeah. That's how far it can go. I think BrewDog's a classic example of this because I saw a sponsored ad on Facebook where they had just promoted a social media post saying, follow BrewDog for exclusive offers and freebies. Y yeah, of course I'm going to follow BrewDog. I love BrewDog beer. And when BrewDog came out, it was part of this whole kind of ale is no longer, you know, I, I think they were pioneers, certainly in the UK, of ale and sort of proper beer, as I like to call it. It's for all ages now. 
Brewdog was one of the first brands that was like, it's not just for your dad and the old guys down at the local pub, you know, in Scotland or out in Surrey or, you know, wherever, um, or in America's case, you know, out, out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, I think it, it, it gave it a new identity. So I followed them. And then I was, honestly, they, they wouldn't have known this, but just pinpointed the perfect moment to send me an advert on Messenger. And it came into my inbox. I was sitting in a really painful meeting up in, uh, up in town in central London. And I was, all I was thinking about was, I just want to go home right now, put my football kit on and go and play football this evening. And I got this message from Brewdog saying, free beer, find your local pub. And I was like, what? So I clicked on it and I found that my local pub was right outside the football pitch. So I literally went and played football when I messaged everybody because I, I run the team. When I was sending a text out to say what the teams were and who's playing who and what colours to wear, etc. for the game, I also said, P.S., follow Brewdog on Facebook, free beer at the pub next door this evening. And the whole team, we went and had a free beer on Brewdog. What a great marketing campaign. That's what I'm talking about when I say guerrilla marketing, yeah. right? And it's very smart. But what was really interesting, right, is they sent you that message to Messenger. Mm. Now, Brewdog, naturally, they have... You're being enormous now, they had the resources to to orchestrate this campaign whereby pubs all over the country would give out free beer, and they were able to target the right customers and send them the the message at the right time of the right day of the week to their inbox. But right, there's stuff that we can do as smaller businesses with who don't have those resources in the inbox, right? Whether it's Facebook or whether it's Instagram. So, for example, here's something that I used to do with the brand that I sold, Beast Gear, which was very easy and straightforward, but not necessarily easy in terms of the amount of effort, right? Going to the moon is easy. You get in a rocket and you go to the moon. It's straightforward. It's not easy, right? It requires a hell of a lot of effort. But here's what here's what I, I did. And then as it scaled up, I, my team did. Every single time somebody posted a picture of our product on Instagram or tagged our brand or used our hashtags, we would do several things. One is obviously we'd comment on their post and it wouldn't just be a generic comment. We take the time to look at what they've posted and post something insightful or thoughtful about it. Yep. Then we would look at their profile and take the time to scan through some pictures, look at their bio, see who they are and what they're interested in, other than obviously fitness, because we're a fitness brand, and then direct message them, thanking them for posting and having an, a real, authentic, engaged conversation. So if, if Dave from Edinburgh has just posted with our weightlifting belt, you know, and he's just he's got a video up from the other week where he's doing some really heavy squats, we'll we'll send a, a a message, having a conversation, complimenting him on his success with the new personal best that he lifted. You know, Edinburgh is uh, my favorite city in the UK, that type of thing. You 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 build up the relationship there one to one. Yep. Eventually, then you you offer them a deal to go back to your website. Well, they're quite likely to then go and spend more money on you because you've just shown interest in them, right? Humans are all vain. That's why they're on Instagram for starters, right? Instagram is the va the vanity social media channel. <laughs> yep. Now they feel even more reciprocity towards you because you've just given them a deal. They feel like almost like they owe you something. So this is where you hit them with, "Would you mind leaving a review?" and it just works. And doing that over and over and over and over again, builds and builds and builds. And you're building up multiple assets there. You're building up your social media assets. You're building up customer lifetime value. You are getting reviews on your site, which is obviously uh, uh, really important. And obviously, you know, you're getting more sales. All of this does what? It, it builds the value of your business, which if you want to sell it, is you know crucial sure and I, the review one's really interesting because as you said that i'm just going on the beast gear website <laughs> just to have a look at some of these posts and things that you guys are obviously you're not involved anymore but some of the posts and stuff on there and actually some of the some of your products i've just pulled out i've got two thousand five thousand eight thousand product reviews on that individual product and i think this then opens a completely different door which we're going to talk about in a few weeks time and that's where you advertise the single product in an Instagram story and somebody just clicks on it and buys it there and then. I'm so guilty of that. I've probably spent a fair amount of money in the last 12, maybe even 24 months on Instagram stories that have just hit me with the right thing at the right time. For example, I posted a picture a while ago saying I was doing some DIY at home. And of course, I'm now getting just DIY ads. But actually, some of the products are really cool. They're quite revolutionary. And it's classic. Every single one I click on is a Shopify store selling 20 just little niche products that solve problems I didn't even know existed. So one of them is about how to like put mastic, you know, around a window, which is that little white gunky stuff, how to put that around a window neatly. And anyone who's ever tried to do that, it's horrible. It's a nightmare. And when I last did it, I watched probably about an hour of YouTube videos before I even got out of bed that morning to go and go and give it a go, which, I, you know, I felt like I knew what I was doing at that point. 
But I think it opens the door to that. And you've raised so many interesting points, actually, around talking to customers and getting them to engage. It's a bit of a snowball effect, isn't it? You kind of, or a bit of a chicken and egg. You've got to have people sharing your products that then comment on them. And one of the things I find frustrating about the digital world is so often when somebody is giving a a talk about something and I try not to do this, they always say like, yeah, yeah, why don't you just, you know, if you do this, you could boost your revenue by five or 10%. But what, how do you start? Like, how do you get those first few customers sharing your stuff? How do you get those? We went to about how to get your first few customers. So I feel like we've covered that to death on the podcast over the last year. But how do you, how do you instigate that first initial somebody sharing something and tagging you, hashtagging you, et cetera, for then, for then that snowballing process to, uh, to begin. And it might be a flake of snow initially, but yeah. How, how do you instigate that first bit? It, it helps, right? If, if you've got a brand that is quite shareable socially, right? Particularly visually appealing for Instagram. So, you know, a, a fitness brand is perfect for that. But there are Instagram fan pages for all sorts of, of weird and wonderful interests and hobbies, which therefore means that customers of all, all sorts of interesting, weird and wonderful industries will be quite happy to share content related to that. So provided that you simply make it known to the customer, so through your packaging, that type of thing, through, your, through, through the other touch points you have with the people who are buying your products, that you want to encourage them to share, you know, give them a hashtag, give them your handle. So many people will do it because we're living in a time now where it's almost like an instinctive reaction among some people to share something on social media. The other way to do it, and it's honestly, I don't really think it's even necessary because I do feel it is such a natural reaction now to share things on social media is to provide an incentive. So share, you know, suppose you've got a, I don't know, a knitting brand, right? Share your best knits using hashtag, you know, Bob's Knitting Brand, whatever your brand name is. And every month we'll pick a winner and they'll get a hundred pounds worth of knitting accessories, you know, done there's an incentive then you make a big song and dance about the winner as well and post about that which will encourage more people to 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 enter and post their stuff and all of this content now is free content that you can repurpose and use tagging the person who's posted it who will be delighted to be to have their content reshared and, and tagged and it's the the flywheel uh, starts to spin faster and faster and the snowball gets bigger and bigger exactly i think you've raised some interesting points as, again i think you know i'm so glad we got you on the show because clearly Clearly know what you're doing. And I think the other thing as well is it's not, I think we need to avoid getting too holistic with this stuff. I think practical examples like you've just given of competitions or, you know, giving some sort of incentive for people to then share something just to kickstart that snowballing effect, I think is really, really key. It's quite similar with customer reviews, isn't it? You know, we, we in the SEO world, we work massively with customer reviews because they are so important to everything from UX to conversion rate, et cetera, et cetera. So I think one of the things with reviews we're always trying to do is to get the ball rolling is to dangle a carrot. You know, we'll give you a £5 Amazon voucher or a 10% off voucher if you leave a review for your product that you've bought recently. And I think similar sort of thing with social, but I've seen it in the past as well that, and again, it's a bit of a snowball effect. You need to have enough followers that it looks appealing, but you need to get those followers somehow. But even slipping a little business card or something into products that go out that says, you know, go and follow us for some exclusive offers and deals on our Facebook and Instagram profiles. I think things like that work really well. That's how I followed Brewdog in the first place, which then led to me being at the pub and half of my football team going, Brewdog's quite nice, actually. I've never had it before. It's really nice. I can see what the what the craze is about. And now you've got a load more customers. You know, it's, it's as I say, though, it's, you know, again, you raised a good point that smaller brands have got to start somewhere and they certainly won't be talking to you know two and a half thousand pubs across the uk or more if you're us based in trying to get something like that off the ground i think starting small and just getting those audiences and getting them engaged is really really key but how do you keep them engaged how do you keep a customer for three months six months a year five years how do you keep somebody engaged on your social media feed as a business like how do you know what to post what sort of things to run competitions is that part of that audience inevitably just going to become a bit dormant and eventually the way the platforms work, they'll stop seeing your posts? Like, What are your thoughts in terms of that, getting that long-term engagement? I think that that's quite a complex one. So I think some of the audience, they will become dormant. However, it's important to remember that social media, so let's take Instagram, for instance, isn't our only touch point with that person. So if, if they're a customer, chances are we've got their email address and we're email marketing to them probably serving ads to them as well on Instagram, but also other platforms like Facebook. If they have shared their product on social media, chances are they like it and therefore are reasonably likely to buy from us again when they next you know, have a pain point or a problem that our brand can solve. 
So by being consistent and continuing to get in front of them in the right places, whether that's in their email inbox, which, you know, because I, I think that assets like email and social are are not separate, right? They all form part of the sort of interlinked synergistic like matrix of wider e-commerce marketing strategy. And it's just by being consistent and showing up mm. that we we don't have too much churn on social. What's really important is that we we know who our customer is. So, you know, if you're listening to this and you haven't been through a, an exercise to understand who your customer is and develop a customer avatar, and then from that, create a brand avatar that reflects your customer or who, who your customer sort of aspires to be, then do that. And that will help you to understand what type of content they want and, you know, what to do. With any luck, you should know who your customer is very well anyway, because you should be, you know, I, I believe, right, that we should all in e-commerce have businesses and brands which we're passionate about and understand well. Going through that exercise, you know, you might think you know your customer, but go through plenty of them out there, right? Go through a, a customer avatar building exercise and really make sure you understand who your customer is and then you'll understand what they want and where they want it, which social media channels do they want it on, right? If you're selling, let's use the knitting example again, if you're selling knitting accessories, your customers, I mean, I could be wrong, right? But they probably are on TikTok. They're more likely, I think, to be on Pinterest, right? And then it's about understanding, well, what type of content do they want on Pinterest, for instance? I think, I mean, Pinterest is an interesting one. I, I'm on quite a few forums and Facebook groups with lots of bloggers. I talk at blogging conferences. Well, I say I talk at them. I used to talk at lots of blogger conferences all over the world when I was allowed. And yeah, there's a few in the diary for later on this year, 2021. But a lot of those guys have been saying that for years, it's been like, oh, you just need to pin every image on your website on Pinterest, make a few boards. It's quite simple. And you'll just get you know, a lot, a lot of the people won't convert and buy products on an e-com store, but you'll get loads and loads of traffic from it. And you can start using that traffic and, you know, just by pinning beautiful things and people. And but it's changed in the last six months, they've said, specifically on Pinterest, that a lot of the bloggers are no longer getting those high volumes of traffic. And so one of the topics with bloggers particularly has been that they've lost that traffic and therefore they're getting paid less for writing blog posts or doing campaigns now because their numbers are lower, you know, the traffic's lower. To which I, you know, playing devil's advocate and I'm quite I'm quite commercial on black and white on these things. And I sort of, I've commented quite a lot in a lot of these groups saying, well, if you were getting traffic before that wasn't of any real value, then it's a good thing that it's dropped from the brand's perspective because they only want to pay you to promote something to an audience that is of value. And actually, if any of that Pinterest traffic was staying around or liking you, you would still have those users subscribe to your newsletter or you'd still have them on the site. Same with e-commerce. They would be customers now. So I think one thing that social has the potential to do is, and we spoke about this just before we hit records, is, is having every business needs to have multiple channels here. If you suddenly turn off Facebook ads and Google ads, if that's going to knock your business for six, then you're in a very, very unstable position as a, as a business right now. If they're only drawing in, and I use this analogy a lot, if that's just drawing in the new 5 or 10% of total revenue, uh, but those people are repeat buying and coming back and joining you on social and becoming advocates, then turning them off, you've only just lost a bit of growth on the top. Your monthly churn of e-commerce revenue is all still there. So I think we need to be, I think social is quite good and we need to be careful about not being so over-reliant on certain channels. We use the analogy a lot when we sign a new client or we're pitching or we look at their data initially to, to sort of say, you know, what's going on here. And we always find that PPC, for example, so Google Ads is driving like 80, 90% of revenue. And if we turned it off, it's going to, you're going to lose all of that, which means, you know, emails non-existent, socials non-existent. You don't have repeat buyers coming in right now. Some of them might be coming through through PPC, but the business has a problem. It's not keeping its customers. It's not re-engaging them after their sale, you know, after their first purchase, et cetera, which just means you're, you're paying out a fortune on Facebook and Google ads, et cetera, or any advertising platforms to keep almost, you know, 99% of your revenue, you're having to acquire fresh every time. And it doesn't have to be that way. So kind of looping right back to one of the first points I put on on the list when we were planning to uh, to record this session, how do you start to, and I know you touched this a bit, how, do you, how can you really start to monetize Facebook and, and in, especially Facebook and Instagram? They're the two biggies at the moment, I would say. How do you really start to monetize that audience? You've, you've got 10,000 followers now. How should you be looking to monetize that into and convert them into customers or 
is your view, and it's probably, I guess it's a bit of both, is your view that actually the Facebook and Instagram bit comes afterwards? So the monetization is on repeat orders as opposed to new orders? Or yeah, what, what are your thoughts? I know it's quite a big question, but uh, it's going to be the killer one on our social feeds when this goes up. Yeah, yeah. So for me, it's something that I mentioned a little earlier. It's consistency, right? I don't believe there is a short-term win with social and monetizing it. Yeah. All your social media and, and your related assets, and it's you know you mentioned before, you can't have everything coming through one channel, like you mentioned Google Ads, right? It's all part of an interrelated matrix. And I like to cross-pollinate my channels, my email feeds to my social, feeds to YouTube, feeds back to email, etc. And it's all part of the bigger picture and being consistent across all of these channels and building those channels into useful assets for your business is vital. Providing, in my, in my view, you've got to do this, right? You have to give helpful, free, engaging, useful, compelling content across all your platforms is key. Yeah. If you keep doing that, eventually it will pay off. I like to, to take the Gary Vaynerchuk approach, the jab, 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 right hook, give, 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 ask. Over time, that pays off. I, I don't believe there's a, there's a short-term fix. Naturally, some people, you may develop a, a fantastic product that, that you, you create some great videos for and they go viral. That's wonderful. That really is the diamond in the rough though, isn't it? Like it's so rare. It's yeah. Yeah, exactly. And having to rely on doing that over and over and over again is, is, well, apart from anything else, stressful. So if you can do that, wonderful. But you, that's that's the micro and the macro, you know, higher level view on this strategy is long term consistency, helpful, free, engaging, useful, compelling content, and then sprinkling in with that, you know, asking for the sale. I think that's it's an interesting analogy, and I to get to open up on sort of how I run my business to first set because exactly the same sort of metaphor, I take the approach of my staff that if I need to pick them up on something or tell them off or, you know, have a word when something's not gone quite right, if I've given them nine compliments to every one, ah, here's something we need to talk about or something to work on, that one becomes really, really easy because they know, they know they're, they, they know they're in my good books. They know they're motivated. You know, I'm behind and supporting them, et cetera. And it is, I love the analogy you gave. It's exactly the same with social, where if your social feeds are like, check out this product, buy this one, get this one next, this one's back in stock. It's just too much. No, no one, no one wants to engage with that unless you've previously, I guess the only scenario I can possibly think of is where you've previously built, you know, you've previously built your brand strategy and your customer avatar around the kind of we've only got a few products in stock at any one point and they come in and then they're gone again that's the only time i think that approach would work i think you, you need to as you say you need to kind of give 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 and then occasionally ask and I, I love that that analogy of this and so i think one of the interesting things then is when you do push out something so the knitting company i think is great really interesting little niche definitely a community and some of the other people we've had on the podcast have done similar things like keto diet sugar-free cakes or the rare tea company we had on in jan i'm a massive advocate of them and they're getting a lot of free exposure from me because yep. a their tea's delicious and b i know their teas come from super good ethical places and i follow them on social and i like all their posts not just because they're a client but actually i do enjoy it i don't most of my clients i don't follow on social because i'm not their target market whereas occasionally when we are and i think the fact that for anybody that's not listened to it the first episode we did this year with henrietta from the rare tea company i highly recommend listening to it where she specifically where she talks i think it was probably about three quarters of the way in and she was talking about there's a certain type of tea that she had sent me that i was drinking and had come from this community in nepal and they were supporting this community because this community had grown all this tea and then realized they wouldn't be able to sell it because of COVID, because less people going into hospitality and whatever. So the rare tea company got all of their customers together, as many as possible. They all chipped in and bought this specific tea, because otherwise the people that grew it in Nepal would never be able to grow tea again, because they wouldn't have any revenue to support the next batch. So it would just stop. And there was kind of no hope. So again, it's such a good story. So at the end of the day, they are selling products. But again, in terms of like niches, communities, and social is such an important platform for them on that. And one of the things they've got, which is, in my opinion, the better problem to have, is they're just trying to work out from a sort of just purely like design and how do we actually communicate this stuff proposition. Because their founder, Henrietta, she is so active around the world doing exactly what people buy into when they buy tea from the rare tea company i think they've they've absolutely nailed it and so the problem now is just to kind of how do we design you know the image to go up on our social feed or how do we share the story now to more people and widen the audience 
It's a lot easier to do that when you've got such a strong message and such a strong foundation behind the business, if that makes yeah. sense. No, absolutely. Can, can I just circle back to something you mentioned a few minutes ago, which I think is really interesting. Yeah, yeah. So you, you, you mentioned, you know, this idea of somebody's getting sort of 80% of their traffic from, from YouTube, uh, sorry, Google ads. Yeah. You know, this is not only is that an issue on in terms of uh, channels for bringing people into your 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 brand's website to get sales, right? So in terms of social as well, but we see that often brands maybe have a hero product, which is driving the vast majority of sales. And across both of these aspects where, you know, maybe 80% of your sales are coming from one channel and 80% might be going down the route of one product. If we're taking a, that's not particularly desirable from a short to medium point of view of just sort of building your brand, but from a longer term point of view of actually getting an, an exit on your brand, which a lot of people are, are thinking about for the future now that buying and selling e-commerce businesses is actually you know, commonplace now, it's really not desirable to have so, so many eggs in one basket, right? So anyone listening to this who is getting most, most interest in their brand through one perhaps uh, social channel or one stream of paid traffic and then only has you know, one or two hero products, please try to diversify across all of these aspects of your business because you're widening the moat around your business. If you think of your business as a castle and the moat around it is what's protecting it, the wider the moat, the more valuable the business, the more attractive it is to a buyer and the more you can sell it for down the line when it, it's time to exit. Yep. So think long-term and, and cross-pollinate your, your social channels. Get people from your email list onto your Instagram. Get people from your Instagram who, who aren't following you on email, get them onto your site, give them a lead magnet, get their email address, drive them back to your YouTube channel, diversify all of this stuff. And if you've only got the majority of your revenue coming through one or two hero products, think about who are who are the people I'm selling to? So if they're, they're, they're knitters, right? What are their problems and pain points and what other problems can I solve? And therefore, what products can I create to solve those problems for them? I think it's a really valid point. We've bought a few businesses over the years. I've sold a couple as well. Not in e-commerce. I did start one in e-commerce purely just to sort of find out how it all works on our client side. I found out that's not where I sit. I, I'm much, much better as a business consultant and a sort of troubleshooter and will help you with specific problems, um, etc. But when we've looked at valuing companies we've either sold or bought, and we're in the process of doing this on one at the moment, there's a couple of key factors we look at. One is churn. And what I mean by ch I say churn, turnover and you know how much of that's dropping out. And that's your repeat customers. So if somebody finds a business, which sounds like yours obviously was in this category, people buy stuff regularly. If you send an email out to your customer base, people just purchase stuff. Well, that's super valuable because that's unique. It's, it's a customer base that only exists to you. You're the only one that can access it. And you decide how frequently you talk to them, what you say to them, which means you then have learned how often to talk to them. And then the second thing as well, which we're not so much talking about today, today's more about community engagement. But the second thing is a business's ability to acquire new customers and grow. And so my business, for example, we're very, very good at keeping clients. Our client base has been sort of somewhere between three to five years on average per client at the moment, which for an agency or consultancy like ours is really, really good. And that's not part... Parker is a bit more of a drive-through, but yeah, on the spec side, it's very different. And Parker is starting to change now that spec's involved. And yeah, so I think people's ability to generate revenue from an existing customer base and then your ability to get new customers in, those two things equal the value of the company and its potential long-term. Because what rarely happens with a business is it gets sold overnight for a fee, job done, see you later. What normally happens is the owners are, they get sort of 50% upfront or 70% upfront or something. And then a sort of stay for a year and help us continue growing it with more investment or with a merger or a parent company or some new resources, et cetera. And then we'll give you your final payment, you know, second payment in a year or two's time or sometimes five years, but it'll be worth more. And I think, again, if you're thinking about exiting, which I know a lot of e-commerce businesses will be thinking about that, those are the two points of value. And you've got to think, is the business ready to scale up if somebody bought it? Because there's potentially a lot more money for you as the seller of the business if you can help it scale post sale. So I, I did that a few years ago. And the second chunk I got was almost double the first chunk. So instead of taking 100% on day one, I took 50% on day one and the same value of 100x months or years later when I completed the exit. And I think it's an interesting point that actually social is something that investors do look at. And they obviously look at the 
size of audiences, a bit like the email example, the ability to generate revenue from those audiences and also then the engagement that's happening on social, which I mentioned last week on the sort of teaser episode for this series. Do not buy likes. They're fake. Doesn't do anything. Don't buy followers. Uh, The platforms hate it. And obviously, investors, if you've got a million people following you on Facebook and an investor looks, but you've only got two or three likes per Facebook post and you've never generated any revenue, well, that's major warning bells which don't need to exist. It's probably better just to say, actually, we don't have many followers on Facebook, but we do make a bit of money from it. But that's not the strength of this particular business, the strengths are elsewhere sort of thing. And actually, right, what, what's, it, what's great about that is buyers, and we see this a lot with, with e-com brokers, is buyers need to have something on the table left for them to do right some more some low-hanging fruit left for them to pick yeah so when there's opportunities like well we've got all these followers we're not actually doing a great deal with them yet buyers will say great that there's an opportunity for us there you've raised a whole load of interesting points there (laughs) i feel like we're going on a tangent which is fine because you and i are very much in this space anyway but um yeah carry on what what was what the business that you sold was that e-commerce no, so I've the only the only thing I ever dived into on ecom was a Shopify store for three or four years, and I've I've said openly that the calculation I did, and I, I now recommend the same calculation to anyone who's listening or in the e-commerce field. The calculation we did is how many products do we need to sell per day for me and my partner to take twenty grand each per year, and when we worked it out, it was so much we would then need all the infrastructure. So actually we were only about 5 or 6% into a journey of actually earning anything. Yeah, and then so there comes a tipping point where it just yeah. makes more sense to sell. Exactly. But the reason I asked is, it's, uh, I, I promise I'll get back to social in a second. <laughs> no, it's good. <laughs> it's just it's some good news for the listeners. Is So you mentioned there, right, that, that oftentimes when you sell, you're going to inevitably sort of have to stay on in some capacity, right, in, in an earnout. Mm. The, the good news is that in, what we're seeing now in e-commerce is oftentimes, yes, there is an earnout one or two years, although more frequently deal structure is, is much more flexible and you, you can get 100% upfront. But often that earnout is is really not at all onerous. So you would agree to provide some transition help to the new owners of the business, typically sort of 40 hours in the first three months. And then anything else is optional, but there's not sort of, you're not you're not selling your business in order to go and work for the new owner, right? You're selling your business to take money off the table and, and, and then do whatever you want with it, whether that's starting your business or pay off your mortgage or whatever, um, and move on. Yeah. And and so yeah, it's not like you're you're selling your business to go and work for the new owners in e-commerce at, at any rate, which is which is good news. Yeah, 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 definitely, definitely. Anyway, let's bring it back to social. I completely agree with what we said. I'm actually thinking what we might do, everybody, is we might get Ben back on in a few months' time to talk about given your experience in buying and selling e-com stores, we might get you back. So Love to just a quick FYI, I've said this before on other uh, podcasts and it gets people talking on the on their Facebook group. So if you want to hear from that on the Winning with Shopify Facebook group, just drop a quick note on there just saying, yeah, be really keen to, you know, really keen to hear an episode about buying and selling e-commerce stores, etc. And yeah, if we get a get a little plug on that, then yeah, we'll definitely get Ben back and potentially a few others as well, maybe a couple of investors to talk about what they look for from that side, et cetera. So um, anyway, bringing it back, uh, my next question as well. So I'm going to get right back into kind of granular, finite detail of social now. I hear a lot at the pub that Facebook's making millions for lots and lots of people. I'm yet to find somebody at that pub who says I am making millions and millions and millions from, from Facebook. And equally, I hear, like I mentioned with the bloggers, getting all this traffic from Pinterest. My question really is, what are your views on the different platforms? Like, should every, you know, if you're, if you're one person running an e-com store at the moment, sort of where you started with your e-com business, should they try and get onto every platform? Should they just start on one? Is there a particular favorite? Obviously, it depends by industry. But could you shed some light on how to go about making that decision or reviewing that? Yeah, it's very easy, isn't it, to get overwhelmed by the options out there and think that you have to do everything. It's much more simple than that. It's, it's just ask yourself, where is my audience? If your audience uses Facebook and Instagram, go there. If they use Pinterest, go there. If they use TikTok, go there. Some people will be listening and saying, but Ben, my audience uses everything. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. First of all, I bet they don't use everything, right? I'm not on TikTok and I don't use Pinterest either, right? I've never been on TikTok and I never plan to go on it given what I read about it in the media. It's not beyond (laughs) the realm of possibility that, that I may, but probably not at the minute anyway. But if your customers really do use all the platforms, well, Unless you have the the team and the resources to be on all the platforms, then it's going back to what I said before about that exercise to understand your audience and which which platforms they're using and get in front of them there. And if you're not sure, ask them. 
if your business already exists, right, and you have some customers and you have their email addresses, ask them, send them an email and simply ask them a question. We're going social. Where do you want to hang out with us sort of thing? Yeah, you could do it in the form of a survey. Or you could simply get people to reply organically to you, which I'm a big fan of because it sends good good vibes to the, the email service provider gods and gets you in the inbox and not the um, promotions tab. But anyway, so find out where your customers and potential customers are and get in front of them there and focus on those and prioritize that. So if you're an arts and crafts brand, Pinterest is probably a good one for you and so is Instagram. If you are a brand for you know the generation of, of people on TikTok, go to TikTok, right? It's about the nuances of getting to understand uh, those platforms after that point and, and becoming competent at running ads on those platforms if you want to do paid traffic there. Yeah, nice, nice. Yeah, completely agree with that. And then same sort of question then, but about frequency of posting. So how often should somebody keep their customers engaged? Does it need to be every day? Does it need to be once a month? Like, is there a minimum, a maximum? How, it's going to be different again for every business, but how do you go about understanding that frequency? And is it just a case of testing it? What What's too much that turns customers off? Yeah, I would test, right? It's not like it's not as invasive as email. So with email, you don't want to you don't want to send emails every day because you know, the, somebody's inbox is there are, you know, it, it's quite a personal thing. You don't want you know, at the end of the day they'll unsubscribe or or report you for spamming. Yeah. Or both. Uh, whereas if somebody chooses to to open the Instagram app for instance and scroll through it and they're seeing you every day, that's great because it's about consistency. So actually, I would say for channels like Instagram, yes, post all the time. But you've got to make sure that you're posting helpful, useful, free, compelling information, right? And not just information, but content. If you're just if you're struggling to find stuff and you're just posting rubbish for the sake of it, then post less frequently until you're able to have a strategy where you're you're digging up some decent content. Yeah. And you know, in my view, that just comes over time. And the best way to get content is from your customers. And user generated content is great. And user generated content that you've sort of added a bit of branding to. It is another great one. I think the big thing that you've highlighted there as well is about quality. So what I'm hearing from your answer, and correct me if I'm wrong, is actually posting more often than not, certainly on social, as you say, very different to email, but posting more often than not is a better thing. But you've got to have the resource to be able to put enough into those posts so they do become relevant and interesting on the basis that if one in ten's interesting, well, the other nine are going to be boring. Therefore, you're not going to appear often in people's Instagram feeds because Instagram's algorithm works on the basis of if it's, you know, if you're not liking stuff, it's going to remove it. You know, if you're not liking or swiping or watching videos that pop up from a particular channel, then the channel is going to disappear. So I think quality is as important as quality, isn't it? It's almost a if you imagine on either side of a seesaw, that seesaw has to balance. There is, yeah, there's a fine balance between quantity showing up enough but what you're showing up with needs to be good, right? Don't turn up with rubbish. Turn up with something yeah, yeah. good to get some decent engagement and provide that value to your customer and potential customer. And so I think a lot of our audience, I know for a fact, are one person running their own Shopify store on the side. And it's start- and that's where almost every single Shopify store started. Obviously, a lot of them come from other places, but a lot of stores start with that, you know, working full time in a, in a normal job, nine to five, Monday to Friday, and then on the side in the evenings and weekends, running your own shop. You know, a couple of my staff themselves are doing that sort of thing, which I find quite inspiring, actually. And if that's you, I posting every day is going to be a challenge unless the business is part of your day-to-day. So if your business is all about running equipment and you run to the office and back for your normal day job, well, actually posting every day and making that part of the journey is, is not such a bad thing. But I think if you're selling some new solution that helps your shower stay clean, for example, it's a one-time purchase or a you know once-in-a-blue-moon purchase to the customer – and actually posting every day on social is not going to be ideal. And actually community engagement where you've got a single product, which is what my old e-commerce business had, it's, it's a challenge, isn't it? If you've only got one product, and I, that was part of our problem, I think, is that having a single product meant we got no repeat business. So we were exactly what I described earlier, where it's like, I think it was 98% of our orders came from Google Shopping. And about 5% of our customers came back and bought, it was a wooden sunglasses we were selling. So like bamboo and other eco-friendly wood materials, etc. But people would only come back and buy a second pair the next summer, which meant we had a 12-month time lag between orders. And it was only like 3 or 4%, even though we sent emails. So yeah. monthly emails and posting regularly on social just didn't work for us. It wasn't that kind of brand. 
social was almost a brochure. So we'd put our influencers on social to show who's wearing it. And we would repost a lot of old content because we knew that people weren't really going to follow and engage with us on social because we just didn't have the product range to justify it. It's more a, we just sort of want to stay a little bit in touch. Looks good if a new customer sees it. And then the business plan was really to kind of go, right, month. I think it's going to be year five is when we're going to plan to really start getting repeat orders once we've built up enough you know, initial orders. And I think single product businesses, we've always found them at spec to be a massive, massive challenge in terms of advertising. Just the repeat revenue is just not there. They are. It, it can't be. Yeah, they're really tricky. And if you've got, so if you've got a single product business, if you can, if you can develop more products to solve related problems for the same group of people, then, you know, really do do that. But it's like you say, it, it's not easy to begin with, especially when you're a small, small operation, perhaps doing it as a, you know, as a, as a side hustle, as it were. But if, if your brand lends itself nicely to a particular channel and you can do it, like, you know, you had the the going for a run analogy, if that's, you know, your industry, then it's relatively low effort to take a snap of what you see on your run, put a decent caption on it and and put together some hashtags and and stick it online. And because it doesn't need to be overly branded or complicated. Mm. And what you could do is you could outsource this type of thing relatively cheaply to a a virtual team member who could take care of that type of thing for you. Absolutely. And I think, I I never plug Parker on this, but that is what Parker does. And one of the things we are doing at Parker at the moment, which, which has been part of my input actually, and this is doing exactly what we've been talking about pretty much all of this year about customer engagement, building trust, listening to customers, developing the business based on customers. One of the things we're in the process of rolling out at Parker is rather than just our kind of standard monthly package and you get some credits and you spend them on stuff that works for about 30 or 40 percent of our businesses especially the newer ones they need social media set up you need email set up you need changes made to your website to get things off the ground but longer term we're now starting to offer and these aren't live yet so please don't all rush to our site but we are in the process now of launching specific services now for seo for social media management just again you know it's not going to change the world overnight but it's going to keep the lights on and that sort of thing. So as you say, there's, there's lots of good resources there. You could also find somebody on Fiverr and Upwork. My advice, and it'd be interesting to hear your advice as well, Ben, is but my advice is to get them to write a content plan on a spreadsheet or whatever once a month, what they're going to post on what days, and they write all the content, gather the images from the website or from a bank you give them to keep it super time efficient for you. But equally, you can sign it off before it goes live. So you can check spelling, make sure they're talking about the right stuff, input some ideas into that plan if you've got time to do so. Absolutely. And I think having the brand keeping tone of voice and things absolutely crystal clear is is, is super, super important on that. Oh, yeah. You're, I mean, so I can't improve on what you just said, basically. And, and just, <laughs> Thank you. Your, your, your brand voice is absolutely critical. Yeah. Whoever is doing your social media needs to understand your brand voice, right? If you are running a funeral services company, you obviously don't want to be using the same brand voice as Innocent Smoothies, right? Mm. You, you, you need to be using a somber and respectful tone, not a fun and friendly tone, right? So you've got to get that right. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, look, let's come into land now, Ben. It's been so useful having you on the podcast today. I think you're definitely going to be back, whether you like okay. it or not, I'm afraid. This <laughs> is, it's been a really productive conversation. And I think so many learnings for everybody. And I think one thing I mentioned a few weeks ago is if you've struggled to note down stuff or you're in the car right now, obviously these are on iTunes and Spotify and all the other podcasts. Feel free to go back and listen to them and skip through, pause bits, take notes, build a plan for your uh, for your business. I mentioned last week about a bit of homework as well of just making sure you've got an idea and a bit of a plan as to what you think you're going to do with social. And then we'll unpack it as we go. And so I hope this has been useful towards that. But Ben, last question for me. What was one of the biggest kind of quick wins you ever had? And I know first point I made was that this is not going to happen overnight. It takes time. But what what have been some of the quick wins you've experienced over the years, that thing that just made a load of money and just worked? So it was quick in terms of how easy it was to come up with the concept. But unfortunately, the implementation of this is not quick. And I don't apologize for that because it, I believe it's what works. And I'm going to sound like a broken record because I'm about to say, you've got to concentrate on giving helpful, free, useful, compelling content. And then Build reciprocity with your audience and become an authority and and become a guide in your industry, right? And after that, the likes, the followers, and the sales will come. Caveat here, right, is this tends to only work well if you're selling products under a brand, right? A suite of products that solve related problems for a group of people, whether that's knitters or motorcycle enthusiasts or people who like 
kite surfing, right? If you are drop shipping random stuff, uh, this won't be so, so so successful. And in any case, I'd argue that that business model is flawed anyway. So that is my my quick and slow win, right? Quickly come up with your group of people and, and their related problems. And then very slowly <laughs> implementing this strategy will work. Sure, sure. And I can't remember if it was last week or the week before, I spoke at some point on the podcast in the last few weeks about the difference between what you think you're Sorry, the difference between your actual customer and your target customer, mm. and it's fine if they're different. But as you say, Ben, about understanding them, I think it's twofold. One is you're probably right, as Henry Ford said, write out who you think your customer is and who you want to target, you know, cycling enthusiasts, etc. But don't be surprised then when you do customer feedback surveys and be open to the fact that your customer may actually be completely different. Yeah. Just really quickly, because I, I want to wrap things up, because I we, we always aim for 20 to 30 minutes on these, and they always end up being an hour, <laughs> which I, I shared some of this stuff last week. So, you know, so everybody's aware of how long these take. But just really quickly, we had a client that sold products for cycling. So like little bike pumps, gloves, little bits and pieces. And they thought that all of their customers were like elite professional cyclists. It turned out most of their customers were just Sunday slightly overweight, want to go out for a bike ride. And so they they changed all their imagery and it worked really, really well. They got rid of the kind of, you know, the velodrome, high performance, Olympic cyclist imagery. And they replaced it with like, you know, mum and dad and kids out on the bikes in the woods and realized that actually their customer was completely different and their sales rocketed because it almost felt like you were booking a, you know, booking a holiday for the family. Actually, you were just buying a bike pump. But the imagery and branding was like, you know, it's all about woodland cycles and countryside cycles, etc. So and there you go. That is an exact example of exactly what we're talking about. Cool. Cool. Well, Ben, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's been great to have you. Yeah, great. Thanks for having me. If anyone wants to uh, get in touch, you can email me, ben at benleonard.pro. My website is benleonard.pro. And if you want to talk about selling your, your e-commerce business, whether now or in the future, head over to ecombrokers.co.uk. Awesome. Awesome. I was about to ask. So yeah, thanks for your Feel free to reach out to Ben. I'm sure we're going to have you back in the future. And just to give people a quick heads up next week, I, I hope we've got it confirmed, but I've got one of my oldest friends coming on the podcast. He's got 2 million YouTube followers. So apologies if he doesn't. It's purely because we can't get the time in the diary, but he's a massive global influencer. Most people have heard of him now, certainly between the ages of sort of 16 and 30. Most people have come across his name, et cetera. I won't say who he is until he's on because I don't want to overexcite everybody. But he's going to be talking about how he's working with brands at the moment, how influencer marketing works, and how he's managed to grow his global profile whilst also doing good for the world as well. So tune in next week. Thanks for listening today. If you haven't already, hit the subscribe button. Go and support the group on Facebook, Winning with Shopify. Um, And we hope to have you back next week. So thanks for listening, and we'll be back next Friday. Sign up for free for the Shopify-approved marketing course at 1000salesandbeyond.com and get our show notes at justaskparker.com slash podcast. Thanks for listening to the Winning with Shopify podcast. See you next time.